Welcome. This is the weekly podcast of Westminster Christian Church. Each week, Pastor Patrick Kamler illuminates the Word of God in a way that's fun, fresh, and engaging. We hope you enjoy this week's message. The point of this was not necessarily to, once you conquer this, you're done, you're past it, you can move on with the rest of your life. In fact, uh, there may have been things that are times where you just couldn't do it. If you were struggling with being reactive, you went right back into that space. Or if you're focused on short-term thinking or being fixated on the future, you might have had times where you just kind of went right back into those patterns. Because it takes a while. There are some times where you can just stop with something and it's done. But there are a lot of things that it just takes a little bit. And maybe you had those moments where you struggled with it. Maybe you had a bad day and you were doing all of them. And you thought, why am I even bothered doing this? And you just went back to the way things were. And you just thought, I'm never going to get this right. I'm never going to move on from these. I'm going to die homeless and penniless and 20 pounds overweight, whatever the case may be. So today we're going to end with, you're going to quit being so hard on yourself. How do we do this? How are we so hard on yourself? Initially, when I was when I was coming up with this and, and praying through it and putting it together, I was going to suggest a combination of being hard and soft on yourself. Maybe we don't demand as much of yourself as we should, but I also realized that, that was a very thing that a type A pastor would deliver. And not necessarily what God wanted me to deliver. So we're going to focus more on the being too hard on yourself. And how do you do that? Well, for one thing, you try too hard to be perfect. You dismiss your progress. Any gains that you make, you just, eh, it's not good enough. How about this one? Do you define who you are based on your perceived success? You did something good, so you have a really good day. I'm not saying you can't do that, but is that a pattern? And we kind of look for the long-term patterns. We look for this is something that you do routinely. Or do you take criticism to heart? More accurately, do you take constructive criticism to heart? Someone coming to you wanting to speak life into you, wanting to give you benefit, and you become offended by it. Romans 12.3 is where we're going to be today. Paul is writing to the Romans, the Christians in Rome. And he says, For the, By the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. But think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. Now he's saying this in the context of there is no one particular gift or ability or talent that makes you better or greater in the eyes of God than anybody else. If you are gifted to do a specific thing, but not gifted to do a specific other thing, that doesn't make you better or worse or greater or lesser in the kingdom of God. That's the context that Paul is saying in these. And when we read this, we get very quickly past the sober judgment aspect of it, and we think more about the don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to, right? Because we think there's some people just be taken down a peg. Right? There's some people that are just a little big for their britches, and they need to be taken down a little bit, and you think, yeah, it's for that one. 
But that's not what we're focusing in on today. It's not the don't puff yourself up, don't load your, lord yourself over others, which you shouldn't, but the sober judgment part of it is where I want to focus our attention. Because a lot of when we are being too hard on ourselves, the problem is we're not thinking of ourselves in sober judgment. We're putting a standard on ourselves that is simply impossible to attain. And we are putting on ourselves a yoke that we were never meant to carry, that we were never meant to be burdened with. When we're trying to be perfect, when we are dismissive of our progress, or when we're puffed up on our own success, or when we take criticism personally, we are not using sober judgment. Now, we could go into why we act this way in, in every single situation and, and get more into the, you know, the psychology or the philosophy of it, but it really all kind of ends in the same road. All of these things, they intersect in a lot of the same places. And the place where they intersect is the reason where we try to be perfect, where we are so hard on ourselves, where we do all these things and we're dismissive of our own success, all that kind of thing, is because we care more about the opinions of other people than we should. And sometimes, don't miss this, sometimes the other people is you. It is just as easy to get trapped in your own opinion of yourself as what other people think of you. When we're trying to be perfect, do we seek perfection for any other reason than we want the thing that we put out there to be loved by everyone? I've known friends that are in creative endeavors, and I'll, and I'll tell you, if you, if you leave them alone, they will never put anything out because it has to be perfect because there can't be a spot or flaw or blemish at all on this thing that they put out there, whether it's a, whether it's a book or whether it's a drawing or whether it's a video or anything like that. And something that I've learned, and if you're struggling with something like that, here's something that I've learned. No matter how good you think the thing is that you put out, even after you put it out, if you rewatch it later or reread it or look at it again, you will find the things that you did wrong. They're out there. They exist. They always will. It doesn't mean you shouldn't put things out there. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't do things. And if you're waiting for a time where it will be perfect, it's never going to happen because you are not perfect. There will always be some mistake. There will always be some flaw. There's going to be one team that emerges today as the Super Bowl champion. So one fan base will be happy. Well, kind of happy. You guys are ridiculous. 31 other fan bases will be looking to fire somebody or make a change. There aren't a lot of fan bases out there that make the playoffs maybe win a game or don't win a game, sorry, Browns fans, and think, man, that was a great season. I look forward to next year. The Bears more than doubled their win total last year. We want to fire everybody. 
And don't get me started on the whole drafting the quarterback thing. I don't want to talk about it. Because perfection is the goal. And what, what does that even look like? Whoever wins the Super Bowl today is not going to be a perfect team. They're going to be the team that plays the best today. And gets the breaks from the refs, depending on how conspiratorial you want to be. But they're not the perfect team. And it's going to be very easy for people to wrap their identities around this success. You can stick with football in this. You can take it to anything. Like, it's very easy when you have success at something, when you are good at something, to completely craft your identity around that. And it's, it's a temptation, to be sure. And all of us, or I would say probably the vast majority of us, have done it at some point. We find something that we're good at doing, and we just lean into that. I'm not saying you don't do that, but you make that as part of your identity, that this is, this is who you are that this is who you're supposed to be. And the problem with that on the other end of it is if you lose that, what does that say about you? Does your entire conception of who you are fall apart then because of that? When we put too much on our success, it's very easy for that to happen. And then we dismiss our progress for some of the same reasons. And it turns out that our standards are, are just all wrong. My Christmas present last year and my birthday present last year, I think that covers it, that was most of it, uh, were golf lessons. Because I needed golf lessons. I, I knew which end to use to swing, the, to hit the ball, that was about it. And when we started... They asked me, well, what do you shoot? I told them what I shot, and it was low 90s. And they said, well, where do you want to get to? Well, I don't know. I want to be able to take money off Scotty Scheffler. But I didn't know if that was realistic. So I'm looking at him, kind of looking for a hint, like, what, sh what should I say in this? Because I don't want to turn pro. I love my job. But... I really want to beat my high school friends. So I said, how about 80? 80 to 85, how about that? We knocked 10 strokes off my, off my game. Can we do that? Or if nothing else, just teach me how this works. And then I can work on it from there. It's kind of like when I first learned to shoot a basketball. Like, teach me the mechanics. Teach me how it works. Wrist position, where my arm is supposed to be, how everything works in coordination, and then I'll figure out if I want to get good at it or not. But if I came in that, and I'm six months into it, but if I came into that with the standard of I need to be able to win a tour event in six months, well, my progress would be pretty awful because... As it turns out, I still can't qualify. But if I was looking at it from the perspective of, well, I understand a lot more about how this works. I understand more about my body position and where things are supposed to go. And I look a little bit more like I know what I'm doing, to quote my wife. 
That's always a wonderful thing to hear from your wife. You look a little bit more like you know what you're doing. Save those for Valentine's Day, honey. Because I know what my standard is supposed to be. I know what the progress is that's supposed to make sense. So that helps. But if I was, I'm going to show John Rahm a thing or two. Well, I'd be very dismissive of any progress that I've made. So it's understanding that standard, understanding kind of where you're supposed to be. And this was a negative pattern for me for a very long time. And again, this all goes back to not having sober judgment about yourself, like Paul tells us about. I started getting into drawing a number of years ago, and every once in a while my wife and I have drawing dates. And um, I remember specifically doing this where I was, I was drawing something, and my wife remarked, hey, that's, that's pretty good. And my instinct was to blurt back to her, it sucks. Because let me tell you, there is no greater feeling than having a, co a compliment shoved back in your face. I wasn't thinking with sober judgment. And I looked back on that picture a number of years later, and it's actually, it's not bad. I mean, I'm no Picasso. Well, I suppose if it was Picasso, things would be out of place. It's not really out of place. It's not going up in the Smithsonian, but that's okay. That wasn't my standard. My standard was, can I make a passable human? Face. I didn't draw the whole person. Passable human face. Sure. So it was important to understand what that was. And again, going back to what we've been talking about, if you're still living in reaction, if you're still captured by fear, if you're focused on short-term thinking, if you're fixating on the future, if you're comparing yourself to others, Man, it becomes really hard to not be so hard on yourself, doesn't it? Like all these things work together. And what you'll find, and, and, I, and my, my hope and my prayer is that after this series is over, that you don't just, you know, cool, what's next? That you go, that you go back to this. See, sometimes things happen. You go back to this. And you go back and you say, look, there are times where I, I have been a little bit more reactive. I have been engaged in short-term thinking, but I don't have to stay there. I don't have to live life like that. Because I broke it. Maybe the battery, I think the battery decided to die. <laughs> There we go. What God says about you trumps what the world thinks of you. What God says about you, what God thinks about you, trumps what the world thinks of you. Trumps what you think of you too, by the way. Because you weren't the best judge of you. You know you pretty well, but we also have our blind spots. That's why we need to live in community. But no one knows you as well as God knows you. Now, that might be a terrifying thought for some of you. But understand that God knows everything about you, 
and loves you. That's an important part to get to. And more than that, but how what God says about you and how he defines you always happens in the context of relationship. Your job title doesn't matter to God. What you can do, what you've been gifted to do, what your talents are, doesn't make God love you any more or any less. It would be like giving our kids a present and then realizing and then saying something like, well, I only love my kid as long as they use the thing that I gave them. And then we pin our hopes to that thing. And when that thing goes away or that thing breaks, we think God doesn't love us anymore. That couldn't be farther from the truth. That's a lie from hell. God defines you in the context of relationship. So, and we always, and we understand this because to some of us, we're a mother or father, we're a husband, wife, brother, sister, grandma, grandpa, husband, nephew. And professional titles are cool too. It's lawyer, doctor, president, reverend, MVP. Those are cool too. But God is not impressed by those. God doesn't love you any more or any less. You're a son in whom he's well-pleased. You're a daughter in whom he's well-pleased. You are my people, and I am your God. He says that to the Israelites on numerous occasions. God defines us in the context of a personal relationship, but also in the context of community. And so when the world eventually fails us, when our own plans for salvation fail us, when our pursuit of perfection fails us, when marveling at how wonderful we are fails us, and when the opinions of others fail us, we have a God, and what he says about us is much more important than what the world thinks of us. Thanks for stopping by to hear this week's message, but we'd love to see you next week. We meet every Sunday morning at 1030 with discipleship groups at 945. This has been this week's Westminster Christian Church Podcast. Have a great week. See you next time.